is the embodiment and expression of the triune God. This is God's eternal purpose for which he created all positive things. His creation of human beings, described in Genesis 1, was the first step of the fulfillment of this purpose. To have a corporate human, a corporate man, increasing on the earth, expressing him with his image, and representing him with his authority, to recover the earth from the usurping enemy, and to open the way for the living God to establish his kingdom on the earth. This is why we were created. The enemy of God injected his evil nature into humankind. The result was an old man, the old creation, subject to the law of sin and death, living contrary to God, and erecting all manners of human cultures in order to exist somehow on the earth. But God is unwavering. He sent his son to be the second man who personally fulfilled God's purpose. Then on the cross, he crucified the old man entirely, terminated every negative thing in the universe, including the devil, and in himself, while on the cross, created one new man. Then in resurrection, he himself was born as the firstborn son of God. We were regenerated as the many children of God, and the one new man who had been created was brought forth. It was a glorious birth. As a result, in the sight of God, with his eternal view, the corporate one new man is a reality. What the Lord intends to do is to bring this corporate person forth in an organic manifestation on the earth now not in some distant future, because the church in one of his statuses is the one new man. Amen. The church is actually a corporate person. The me mentioned by the Lord Jesus to Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9, the church will be the counterpart, the bride of the redeeming God. But now the church as the body of Christ, is simultaneously the one new corporate man in God's creation. And the Lord redeemed us, saved us, reconciled us, regenerated us, and brought us together in the Lord's name in oneness so that he could finally have on the earth what his heart has been seeking since eternity past. Amen. And he will have it. Amen. 
And he will have it here, he will have it now, and he will have it with us. Amen. This is my utterance in faith. So his purpose originally was to recover, was to have the one new man. Now in his recovery, going on for centuries, he has brought us to the point where the proper church life can be recovered on the ground of oneness with the universal fellowship of the body and what the Lord wants to do now what is in his heart right now, what he is praying for now, is to actually bring forth one new man. All over the earth, but expressed practically in hundreds and thousands of local churches. But wherever we are, as the Lord is increasing in us, inwardly we have the sense we are part of a corporate person, no matter what the races are, what the languages are, what the culture is, whatever the differences are outwardly, intrinsically, we are one corporate person. Amen. So we considered first that we need to have light concerning this based on the word, and that's a vision, meaning a spiritual scenery that is extraordinary that we can increasingly sense in our spirit. And then I pointed out this morning what I call lines of development. These are not standards that you will try and then fail, like me, trying and failing. It's not a matter of a standard I'm giving you that you should try to fulfill. These are lines of the development of the divine life in all of us. And sooner or later, every believer will be matured and perfected according to God's will and heart's desire. But he needs many, as many who are willing in his recovery today to present themselves to the Lord as an open vessel to actually, gradually experience these five lines of development. The first is growing up into Christ the head in all things until we arrive at a full-grown man. It's normal to reach maturity. We should reject the thought it's for the super-spiritual. There's no such thing as super-spiritual. There's just us common, ordinary, normal brothers and sisters. And then second, we need to put off the old man and put on the new man. And in order to do that, we need to be renewed in the spirit of the mind. So just as growing in Christ is a reality, being renewed in our mind is a reality. And the renewing spirit addresses the construct in our mind, the concepts in our mind, all that's been worked there based upon culture or whatever it is, to renew it so Christ becomes 
our mind, we have the mind of Christ. We have a new view, a new spiritual understanding. And then this will lead to the third line of development, the actual transformation of the soul, a metabolic spiritual change that takes place in our mind, emotion, and will so that our soul, the organ of expression, can function to express the Christ who is in our spirit. And a most encouraging verse regarding this is 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord. This is not work. This is delight. This is turning your heart to the Lord and beholding his glorious face and loving him, enjoying him, and let him infuse himself into your being until you are ecstatically joyful. Amen. And if you're not ecstatically joyful, you're just deeply and calmly at peace and rest in the presence of this delightful, wonderful, all-inclusive Christ. So we are being transformed into the same image. So Christ will be formed in all of us. From glory to glory. And so it's normal that we are in different stages. We're not, there's no rivalry. We're not competing. Just like in an extended family. I'm a grandpa. My son and his wife have three children. They're my grandchildren. We're together. There's no rivalry. There's no competition. My 11-year-old granddaughter doesn't feel inferior to her grandpa, to her mother. We're just in this together, and we all know we're growing in the same direction. Then the fourth line of development is based upon this very significant observation that Ephesians 3 comes after Ephesians 2 and before Ephesians 4. Now that's pretty deep stuff, you know. <laughs> but the reason it's deep is because the key to experience is in the prayer in chapter 3. Amen. And it's a prayer you can utter when you're at the red arrow because the driver's reflexes were slow and he'll be there for three minutes. So why not pray personally? Lord, strengthen me with power through your spirit into the inner man and make my home in your heart. Why not pray for your wife? Why not pray for your children? Why not pray for the saints in your locality? Why not pray for the whole recovery? This simple prayer. And then day by day, <clears throat> when you start the day, <clears throat> once you are awake and alert enough, I don't know about you, I don't arise out of bed like a hind let loose. I grope to consciousness and then have to figure out in what time zone am I? Where on the earth am I? And then eventually I turn my heart to the Lord begin to contact the Lord, and then just to tell him again, Lord, you gave me today. I give you this day. Grow in me. Saturate me. Make your home in my heart today. Okay, we can all do this. 
And then the fifth line of development was based upon Ephesians 4.24, the new man is according to God in righteousness and holiness of the reality. So the old man is characterized by deceit, by hypocrisy, by masks, by lies, by insincerity, by being political, by being diplomatic. It's just permeated with so many things that render human beings just unreal. You see so many talking heads and you just sense there's no reality. It's just vain. The entire old creation is in the deceit. But the new man is constituted with the reality which is God himself. Amen. And one of the apostles, the last of the twelve, whom the Lord preserved for a very, very long time, well into his 90s, because his portion in the ministry was to mend, to recover, to restore. That was John. And he's the one who emphasized in his gospel not only life, but truth, but reality. And John became a pattern of a human being absolutely real in his entire being. And this divine reality became what he called truthfulness. So he could write intimate but pure epistles, 2nd and 3rd John, and greeting an honorable and older sister and her family and say, you are the ones I love in truthfulness. My love is absolutely genuine, sincere, authentic, real. I don't know what our society would do. People might be really perplexed. Allow me to use the word nonplussed. What is this, reality? A real person? Transparent? Bright, shining, sincere, genuine. Just a little comment on the word sincere. Little word study here from two languages. From Latin and Greek. I'm an expert on neither. I just have fragmentary knowledge, okay? In the Roman Empire, marble... Selling marble was a big industry. And there were crooks then. And what they would do, they would have marble with cracks. And of course, you wouldn't get a good price. Who wants to buy marble with cracks? So they would fill in the cracks with wax. And the wax closely resembled the color of the marble. So people would buy this defective marble and eventually the wax would be somehow exposed. So the Roman government developed a group of persons that were marble inspectors. And before 
a block or a slab of marble could be sold, they would inspect it for cracks. And somehow they were trained to discern the wax in the cracks. And once they examined some marble and they found it authentic, then they would put two words on the document of approval. Sine sire, without wax. So we live in a society of wax in cracks all over the place. <laughs> then in the Greek, it's actually something similar. But here people are purchasing porcelain, whether cups or a dish. And they want pure porcelain without any fissures, without any fine cracks. But very hard, if you're in a rather dim light, to determine whether there are any of these defects or not. So the practice was to take it outside under the bright sun. And the sunlight would shine through the porcelain and expose all the cracks. So the Greek word for sincere is the combination of the word helios for sun and kroneo for judgment. It means judged by sunlight. So this is especially meaningful to me and precious to me. As I told you this morning, my being hungers for reality and hungers for genuineness, sincerity, honesty, purity, and every relationship with every human being. Well, the one new man is constituted with this reality. Now, in about the, 55, about the 58 minutes or so that I want to reserve for, the, for this message, I'll use about a half an hour for the outline, but I want to present two other aspects of the one new man for us to consider, and maybe the Lord will lead us to seek him concerning these. One is on the corporate side, and the other is on the personal side, and we need both. And for the point or the aspect on the corporate side, we need two books that are really sister books, Colossians and Philemon. The reason they are so close is that a brother named Philemon was a leading brother of the church in Colossae. So what Paul wrote to the Colossians very likely was read as the church was meeting in Philemon's home. So he was the recipient of that epistle, which presents Christ in his all-inclusiveness and universal vastness as our life and constituent for the one new man. And in that epistle, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Paul says that we, we put on the new man. The new man is being renewed 
and to full knowledge according to the image of him who created him. In this new man, Christ is all and in all. So he is presenting in chapter 3 the essential truth of this corporate new man. Then chapter 4 of Colossians seems like an appendix, much like chapter 16 of Romans may seem like an appendix. Paul presents all this high teaching, and then he spends a whole chapter fondly greeting this person and that person and this person and that person with modifiers. Eventually, he greeted a brother and greeted the brother's mother and said, Greet your mother and mine, indicating that Paul had the need and actually had in the church life a sister mature enough to be a mother. So what we see in Romans 16 is Paul living in the body, blending all the body together by his loving fellowship. The same principle is in Colossians chapter 4, where if we study that carefully and find out who is who, you'll realize Paul is addressing people from all over the Mediterranean, indicating they were actually at least beginning to live the life of the new man. They were overcoming, they were transcending all the divisive elements in that society. Then Paul wrote Philemon. And this is the point. In this little book, one chapter, there is a subject which I find very endearing, deeply touching. And that is, the subject of Philemon is the equal status of all believers in the one new man. That whatever levels, biases, there, there may be in a society. Paul is making very clear, and we'll see how he did this, that in the one new man, we're all this, on the same level. No one has privileges that others do not have. No one is honored higher than others. No one is inferior. No one is superior. No one is marginable. No one is neglected. No one is loved less. No one is loved more. There's no hierarchy. We're all the same. And the one new man. And here's how Paul was the basis of his addressing this. Throughout the Roman Empire, as was common in so many societies, was the most despicable of institutions. That's slavery. It was just 
woven into the fabric of society. And I don't know, I only know the fact, Philemon had a servant, technically his slave, named Onesimus. And one day, Onesimus, he's in Colossae, he decides to take off. And for one to escape, his life is in peril. How he got to Rome, I don't know. I look forward to meeting him in the kingdom. How did you get there? And then he found Paul in prison. There's just something in his being. He said, I'm, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to be in this situation. But he goes to Paul. And some, because they want to rewrite history, they blame Paul. Why didn't you lead a revolution to abolish this evil institution? Well, Paul was not a reformer. His approach was much more radical than that. So what happened was Onesimus meets him in prison, and he's, his, his presence meant a lot to Paul, Paul begot him. Paul brought him to the Lord. Onesimus was regenerated through Paul in prison. And in this epistle to Philemon, the expression inward parts is used three times, referring to the deepest, most tender parts of our being. And Paul said to Philemon something quite, quite touching. He said, brother, the inward parts of the saints are refreshed by you. When the saints contact you, their inner being, they may be weary. They may have been wounded. They may be discouraged. They may be downhearted. But they're refreshed. But then he realized he did not have the peace to keep Onesimus with him. So he sent him back. Then he, This is what Paul is telling us in verses 13 and following. Him I have sent back to you. Him that is my very heart, literally my inner parts whom I intended to keep with myself, that on your behalf he might minister to me in the bonds of the gospel. But without your mind, I did not want to do anything, that your goodness would not be as of necessity, but voluntary. For perhaps for this reason he was separated from you just for an hour, that you might fully have him forever, no longer as a slave. No longer. I abolish his status. He now is equal to you. He's equal to me. We all have the same equal status. No longer as a slave, but above a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So this is now the actual living out of the new man. 
you've got an escaped slave in the eyes of that degraded society, the lowest level. You're somebody's property. They can do anything they want. And we know the owners from our own country's history did whatever they wanted. Despicable. But Paul realized God's solution to the totality of enmity, unrighteousness, injustice, privilege, superiority, inferiority, conflict. His view is not simply outward reform, but to go to the core and to apply the crucified Christ in such a way that all negative elements are terminated and Christ himself as life is born into us. And no matter what our background is, now we're all on the same level. Okay? This has to actually happen and actually be our being, our thinking, our feeling, our living in the churches. Now allow me to give you a real-life illustration to indicate that this is something that's progressively developing. And on this matter, humanly speaking, the younger ones may have an advantage of many older ones because we were shaped in a certain way and they're shaped in another way. This is perhaps 15 years ago. And I'm in Anaheim with the brothers serving in the training. And one sister is there short term. And she heard that I spent time one-on-one -on -one for fellowship. And she asked for a time. So please just listen in your spirit. Okay. And she said, I'd like to have fellowship, a matter related to my engagement and upcoming marriage. And she described, this is the situation. She herself is a mixed race. And she's engaged to a brother from a totally different race altogether. And then she gently asked me this question. Brother Ron, why do I feel or why do I sense that there are some racial feelings in the church? So I said to her, sister, the reason you sense that there are racial feelings in the church is because there are racial feelings in the church. <laughs> not prejudice, not bias, not enmity, but in all honesty, not everyone is fully reconstituted in their being. And so when it comes to marriage, sometimes these feelings can be activated. But I certainly encouraged her to, without doubt, proceed with this marriage the Lord will get through. The Lord will overcome. And they've had a, they have a wonderful marriage and a wonderful family life. So 
I'd li- I like in the church life to care for the actual situation. We shouldn't pretend we are where we are until we're somewhere else. But the Lord will have a church life. He will have it in the United States. He will have it in Europe where there's no such feeling at all. Because in the one new man, I'm I'm very definite on this. I'm not an advocate of it. I'm just definite on it. When it comes to marriage, the Lord could put any, make any arrangement he wants. Any arrangement. Is he not free to do this? Should we not have the heart for him to do this? And our living should be that any person who comes to our midst from any background, especially if it's one that suffered from injustice, whatever, they just sense this is another realm. We're not being polite. We're not tolerating anybody. This is what we really are. We all have Christ living in us. And we're all the same. This is the way we think. We don't consider anyone higher, anyone lower, anyone lesser. There are no preferences. There are no biases. That's why Paul could say we have the same love. We have the same love. So this is the first point. That in the church life, which is the expression of what we are in our inner being. We're all on the same level. No matter what the distinctions are, someone might be a CEO at a company. And someone else might be like some of the brothers in the south of the Philippines. Their education stopped at the third grade. They're not dumb. They were impoverished. So most of them, even the full-timers among them, are farmers or fishermen. But in their heart, they want to give everything so their children can have a college education. I've visited, I've been among them countless times. My background is totally different. I never had the thought, I'm above these brothers. I never spoke in a way which caused them to feel they can't understand the thought. We're all the same. And we're we're the same in our church life. We're all on the same level because something has happened inside of our being to make us one corporate person. Now this brings me to the, the second point, which, on, which is on the personal side. And you'll see shortly, I will spend some time on a very well-known verse. Okay, Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. If anyone was a Jew, he was a Jew. 
He surpassed everyone of his generation. So he kept the Sabbath. <clears throat> he kept the diet. He would have nothing to do with a Gentile. No contact at all. This was Saul of Tarsus. Then he got saved. He met the corporate Christ. And the Lord did a particular work in him. And then Barnabas found Paul where he was. And he brought him into the church life. But not in Jerusalem. He brought him into Antioch. And if you study Acts 13, Paul was in a multiracial, multicultural church life in Antioch, rubbing shoulders with all kinds of Gentiles from different races, different backgrounds. And then Paul told us in Philippians 3, he came to appreciate Christ so much. And he had the excellency of the knowledge of Christ to such an extent that he made a decision. He said, I will count everything of my background as nothing. I will count all things as loss. My whole national consciousness, my racial consciousness, my culture, my being a Jew, what I attained in my education. He said, I will count it as loss, stage one. I will suffer the loss of all things. I will actually lose it, stage two. Then what's stage three? Crying over what he lost? He said, no, I count it as dung. This is the pattern. So that Christ would live in him. So then Paul could testify in his gospel ministry. He said, I am all things to all men. I can be in any kind of situation. I can be with any kind of person. And in Christ, I will become them. I will be where they are. I will enter into their feeling, their thought, their view for the gospel's sake. I didn't stay up here and talk down to anyone. Okay. Then there was a certain crisis in Antioch, which will be the context of Galatians 2.20. We know this verse very well. With Christ I have been crucified. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay. But the context starts in verse 11. Cephas, that's Peter, he comes to Antioch. Verse 11. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Okay, this is the reason. For before, before men came from James, he continually ate with the Gentiles. So Peter came. Remember, he got the vision of the sheet. He preached the gospel to the Gentiles. But his being wasn't fully penetrated yet. So when he went to Antioch, he's doing lunch. 
with all the Gentiles. But uh-oh, some came from James, the apostle James. And Peter realizes they're going to tell James, I'm lunching with Gentiles. So when they came, he began to shrink back and separate himself. No, no. No, no doubt, some kind of polite rationalization. No doubt, I, I don't feel well or I, I can't eat that or whatever it is. He withdrew. He separated himself, fearing those of the circumcision. Oh, the religious party in Jerusalem, they're going to get on my case. You're a Jew. What are you doing eating Gentile food, unclean food? And the rest of the Jews also joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was carried away in hypocrisy. Paul is very direct. But when I saw that they were not walking in a straightforward way in relation to the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So the context is Peter's unease, Peter's lack of a thorough reconstitution. Paul was different. He was sent to the Gentiles. So he had to lose his Jewishness. That was what he was. That was the definition of what he was. His race, his culture, his nationality, his religion. He lost it all and was, Christ came in to reconstitute him. That is why and that is how he could truly love everyone the same, have no bias, no prejudice, no preference at all. So when Peter had the failure, Paul realized, Peter, you're being hypocritical. I'll call it by its right name. And you might have been there in Caesarea Philippi and heard the Lord speak and this and that. I wasn't there. I came along later. But I'm not intimidated by anybody's seniority. You're not being faithful to the truth of the gospel. This is a matter of the gospel truth. And also underlying it is you're living in the old man. You're reverting to Judaism. You're afraid of the fellow Jews in Jerusalem. Why wouldn't you go there and tell James? There's a new man. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. Don't tell me not to do lunch with Gentiles. I'll eat any kind of food that's set before me by any kind of person. But Peter couldn't do that at that time. Then it's in this context that Paul describes the truth of being justified by the faith of Christ. And it's in, in this context he tells us how he could be this kind of person. And this is the crucial experience. First, I have been crucified with Christ. This is the application of Romans 6.6. 6. 
Our old man has been crucified with him. He realized this. Then he said, it is no longer I who live. I'm not living anymore. Peter, Jews, Galatian believers, I'm not living anymore. I, the designation of the old man, was crucified. It is no longer I who live. There was a no longer in his life. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Now I ask you a question. If there's no more I, how can there be a me? Isn't I me? Isn't me I? So he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But where does this me come from? Well, this me is not the old I. This is a new me. I think that would be kind of a sweet name for a little girl. Huh? New, new me. New me. I better not mention this in Korea or, or they will act on it. I, I was there one time. Many years ago, I, I, I love the Koreans. I love being there. I love everything except kimchi, okay? <laughs> Korean barbecue, yeah. Kimchi, <laughs> sorry. And I said, I know a sister in the training, her name is Vine. Vine. But I don't know anyone named Branch. Okay, remember, I'm saying this to the very responsive and active Korean saints. So I come back a year or two later, and after the meeting, a young couple approaches with an infant in arms and said, we'd like you to meet our daughter named Branch. <coughs> so if they get wind of this, I might be meeting new me next time I'm there. But there is this, this me is a new me. It's the regenerated person, part of the new man, in whom Christ is living. So now Christ lives in me. He doesn't say Christ dwells in me. You can dwell in a prison. We can imprison the Lord in our spirit. It's a de facto prison. We let him out in a meeting. Then we go home and it's just understood. Um, I'm living now. And you know nowhere to be. And so he retires to our spirit, waiting on us to wake up and let him live. Amen. So to live is a totality. He thinks, he feels, he decides, he speaks, he acts, he relates Christ lives in me. Then Paul says, and the life I now live in the flesh. So now the new me is the new man I. I live in the flesh that is in my outward humanity. But I live in faith. Faith means you do what's humanly impossible. Faith means you realize I can't be it. 
I can't make it, I can't take it, and I can't do it. But my Lord can do all of these. I'm just one with him and let him be everything in me. He said, I live by faith. But actually, the faith isn't my own. I, I don't have the faith. So it's quite a relief to stop condemning yourself for not having your faith. The Lord doesn't expect you to have the faith. He wants to be your faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God, but he didn't stop there. And what he says at the end is something we all need, personally. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He knew what he was. Now we can read John 3.16 and believe it. God so loved the world, meaning the whole human race. So we can say, well, I'm in there somewhere. So God must love me because I'm a human. I'm part of the human race. Okay, that's rather remote, kind of distant. Then we read Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then we can think, well, I'm a member of the body. I'm part of the church. He must love me. But still it's distant. Every one of us, at least one time and maybe more than one time, we need to have a contact with the Lord and to realize he loves me and he gave himself up for me, not just for an anonymous, nameless mass of people, but for each one of us personally. Amen. He loved me and gave himself up for me. This verse is the secret of Paul's living as a God-man, as part of the one new man, point by point. He had the vision that the old man, all of us, we were crucified when Christ was crucified. He could say, I was there. I died when you died. When you were buried, I was buried. When you were resurrected, I was resurrected. So I no longer live. That old man doesn't live anymore. I don't let him live. He can't live. It is Christ who lives. But he's living in me. I'm now a me. I'm a person who allows Christ to live. Now Christ is living in me. And now I'm living. I have to live my human life. I have to say things. I have to do things. I have to express things. I have to live. So I'm living in the flesh as a human. But I'm living the Christ who's living in me. We have one life and one living. So when Paul speaks that way to Peter, he's living Christ. Christ is being very frank, very faithful, very genuine. So I live, but I don't live by my natural energy or ability. I live in faith. But the faith is not my own faith. 
It's actually the faith of the Son of God. It's the Son of God himself being faith in me. And why am I willing to do all this? Why? Why am I willing to let everything go? Why am I willing to live a crucified life? Why do I recognize that my old man has been crucified? Why can I say I no longer live? What is my ground for saying Christ lives in me? It's because, my brothers and sisters, he loved me. He loved me. He gave himself up for me. How can I not respond? When the Lord pours out this love in your heart, melts your heart, dissolves all the barriers, all the protective means, all the pride, whatever it is, he just decides, now, I don't want to use this expression, I don't know how to say it, this is my ultimate resource. When I release my love for you, love will conquer you. I love you. Not based upon anything you are. You don't have to become lovable first. I love because I am love itself. I love you because God chose you in eternity past to be holy and predestinated you to be a son. I loved you enough to bear your sins in my body on the cross. Amen. I gave myself up for you, not just for millions of people, not just for a universal church, but to each one of you. Amen. And there's a longing in my heart that every believer on the earth, and especially all the brothers and sisters in the recovery, would know this then they would begin to enter into 1 John 4.19 to have a because love. And John started out narrow, ambitious, and impetuous. He said, let's call fire down on them. They won't accept us. Call fire down. They're not one of us. So I said, stop Casting out demons in Jesus' name. That's for us. Lord, my brother and I want to be at your right hand and on your left. But actually, he goes on your left. I go on my right. And Mama's here pushing us, living through us, to fulfill her ambition. This is how he started. Not easy to gain that kind of person. The Peter type is easy. They're so bold. They're so direct. They're so outward. John, all of this is inside of his being. But eventually, love conquered him. So he wrote, we love because he first loved us. The verse doesn't say, we love God because he first loved us. Allow me to personalize it. I love you because he first loved me. I love. And the love is pure. The love is impartial. Because. So there's a need we may never have thought we had. And we might have felt uneasy praying about it. But some of us need to pray, Lord, I need you to love me. 
I need to know directly from you that you love me. And when this love flows into us, it produ reproduces itself. And with the same love that loved us, we now love. We love God. <clears throat> we love the brothers and sisters. We truly love all human beings. And the Lord will test us by bringing us into contact with every personality type, every kind of disposition, every background, racially, culturally, nationally, whatever it is. And if there is something that needs to be dealt with, we'll have to say, Lord, why am I feeling this way? When the Lord will indicate, that's yourself still there. And you say, Lord, I agree with you. That's myself. Kill it. I want you to live in me so I can look at anyone face to face and they will know I love them. No matter what they say to me, no matter what they call me, no matter how they treat me, because this love will be perfected. We don't only, not only love the believers, we not only love all humans, we love our enemies. Well... This is how Paul could let everything go and open his being to be reconstituted for the one new man. And that is the segue into the outline. Not bad, huh? <laughs> okay. The first section is somewhat a review of what we addressed this morning. The title, The Constitution of the One New Man. God's intention in his economy is that Christ be everything. Therefore, it is crucial for us to see that, what God, that God wants nothing but Christ. And that in the eyes of God, nothing counts except Christ. So this is actually a release. When I was 19... I made two really unfortunate decisions, but my being gave me no choice because of what happened. I decided, not just felt, I decided two things. One is, there's no real love anywhere. Anyone who said they liked me, they loved me, they loved their image. Anyone who knew me didn't love me. So I give up at 19. I give up on love. I'll just settle for respect. And I'll make you, I'll cause you. You disrespect my intellect. You don't love me. You don't like me. I didn't think I was a genius, but I thought, okay, I'll settle for respect. The other decision was, there's no real joy. How can anyone confront the reality of human existence, the absurdity of it, the meaninglessness of it, and have joy? Joy is for the shallow people, 
So there is no joy. But the Lord in his loving shepherding addressed both. He addressed the first in a meeting after I'd been in the church life for a year. We sang a hymn. It may be coming up in your mind right now. Come and rejoice with me. For I have found a friend who knows my heart's most secret depths, yet loves me without end. Come and rejoice with me. I, once so sick at heart, have met with one who knows my case and knows my healing art. So then, at the age of about 28, for the first time, I met love. You know me. You know my being. You know my inward parts. You know my thinking. You know my disposition. Yet you still love me because you're love. So, Lord, I now drop that concept. I nullified that decision. You are love itself. Amen. The other took a little longer. But I saw this just a matter of disposition. Your Northern European morose Finnish constitution. You know. And then I realized that was perfected by the word we heard. The last written word by Brother Nee before he died. He had to write kind of secretly because of the censorship. But he could say, I have maintained my joy. And I realized, what? 20 years in that imprisonment added to all the sufferings physically he had endured for decades. And he could say, I have maintained my joy. Then I had to repent. No, I realized the deepest people, the deepest believers are those who enjoy the Lord. And so these points... God wants nothing but Christ. In the eyes of God, nothing counts except Christ. God is not disappointed if we don't meet the standard. He doesn't expect us to. He's waiting for us to realize just to stop trying. Stop trying to ask God to patch yourself up. He doesn't want you to end up looking like a quilt with all kinds of patches. Let him Remove you, yet you'll still be here. Let him live in you and let him make Christ everything to you. Amen. God's intention is to make Christ, his son, the center of his economy and also to make him everything to the believers. So I can say, Christ is my love. Christ is my joy. And I'm, I'm much closer to 100 than I am to 50, give you a, an idea where I am. Let me tell you, I've never been happier in my whole life. Oh, it's just amazing. Where did this come from? Wow. The love, the joy, which are Christ himself. So I'm going to Pray in secret, and I'll pray with my partner. We're going to pray in secret. Lord, 
Make this true of all the brothers and sisters in your recovery. This is for the whole body. God has determined that in his economy, one person, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, must be everything. God's economy is to work the all-inclusive Christ into us. That's Galatians 4.19. That Christ would be formed in you. In the recovery, the Lord is recovering Christ himself in our experience. And really, the Father is still patiently waiting. On the Lord's day, when we remember the Lord, we break bread, then we turn to the worship of the Father. The Father is waiting for us to worship him with the Christ we have experienced. Not just to echo something merely from this week's holy word or something we picked up or only to repeat the words of a song, but to offer a prayer for 15 or 20 seconds, worshiping the Father with the Christ we have actually experienced. That is the worship he's seeking. In his recovery, the Lord is seeking to recover the all-inclusive Christ, as the life-giving spirit who imparts himself into the believers as their life and their everything and makes them his living body, the one new man. I believe many of you are getting clear on the point that the truth in the word, the truth presented in the ministry is high and profound. We can grasp it, but it's high. But the life practices are so simple. What were some of Brother Lee's utterances at the end that were put together in a song? Lord, I love you. I really love you. Without you, life's really nothing. There we are. There I was at the bedside on the day he went to be with the Lord. This, God, men, who reached a level of maturity unmatched since the time of the apostles, who ministered the highest truths to us with clarity and light. But in his life with the Lord, it could be so simple. Lord, I call on you. I love you. I really love you. He prayed simple prayers. Lord, grow in me. Lord, renew me. That's why I recommend simple conversational prayers. When the, the blind man Bartimaeus was at the side of the road crying out because he heard Jesus was there, the Lord stopped. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? The Lord may come to you with that question. What would you like me to do for you? I'm here to serve you. What would you like? Don't respond with a formal, complicated prayer. Bartimaeus said, Lord, I want to receive my sight. Okay, this, this is what you wanted? I'll restore your sight right now. That's how it is. When the Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter was demon-possessed, first came to the Lord, very formal, son of David, such and such, and such. he didn't respond. 
Then he indicated to her that he was the children's bread. Then she could cry out, Deliver my daughter. Deliver my daughter from the demons. That's the real thing. Not decorating it. Oh, this, Lord, you're omnipotent and you're able to do all things. He knows he's omnipotent. He doesn't need to be reminded. Just ask him what's in your heart. When it comes to the level of personal prayer, ask him whatever's in your heart. My daughter did something like this when she was real little. But I just reshape it to make the point. The little girl comes to her dad, says, Daddy, can I have a pony? <laughs> then does the God-man dad say, why do you ask for a pony? Why don't you care about the desire of my heart, what my deep thought is? Why are you asking me for a pony? She's five years old. She asked for a pony. And I say, Becky, dear, we live in a city and we cannot have a pony in our backyard. How about a bunny rabbit? Yes, a bunny rabbit. I'm so glad she asked for a pony. So what I'm saying is, it's okay to ask God for ponies. In other words, whatever's in your heart. He's not going to be bothered. Why aren't you engaging in spiritual warfare right now? Well, this is not the prayer ministry of the church. This is a one-on-one -on -one with you having a conversation. I'd like to open my heart to you. Lord, I, I want to be married. Lord, I want a baby. Lord, I need a job. Lord, my health. Just let's learn to be simple and genuine and direct. Two, we need to see that the church is the one new man and that in this new man, Christ is all, we have no place. So actually, our greeting to any visitors, any new ones in this meeting and any new meeting, any meeting would be this. We warmly and loving you Welcome you all. There is no room for you here. <laughs> we welcome you to the church life. But there is no place for any of us. Yet we're all here. But there's no room for any of us. There's only room for Christ. Amen. So this is the most honest welcome word we can give you. The Lord has received us. We receive you. We have no questions. We don't interrogate anyone. We don't reject anyone. We receive all the believers. But we'd like you to know what we're receiving you into. We're receiving you into a realm when there's no room for us and Christ is becoming everything in us. Amen. Because that's what we are. Okay? If you'd like us to explain more, then we'll just have more fellowship in one of our homes later this week. The one new man is not a movement and is not an organization. The one new man is a man. There is no natural person in the one new man. And there is no possibility, no room for any natural person. 
Natural means just what we are in our created human life as just a human being in the old creation. No matter what kind of person we may be, as far as the one new man is concerned, we are all nobodies. Jim, I'm nobody. Are you nobody too? Yes, you are nobody. Isn't it a relief to be nobody? And Christ is the only somebody among us? Although many different kinds of people make up the one new man, all are part of Christ. There are no longer the natural persons. But whether this is worked out in the life of any believer is a personal choice. For various reasons, someone may not be ready for this. And there may be human reasons. You may have been struggling just to know who you are as a human. And you may need more time for that. You may. So we're not going to force this on you. We just present the truth. Sooner or later, you'll realize this corporate new man is Christ. And everything of the natural man is eliminated. Then Christ lives in us to become us. Christ, our life. In the one new man, there is only one person, the all-inclusive Christ. So there will be untold numbers of believers, so many people, but only one person. And Christ shining as the one person out of all these different people, created with particular characteristics, so they will express aspects of Christ. This one expressed aspects of Christ. You put all of us, put all of us together, then Christ in his totality is expressed corporately. Amen. C, the new man is uniquely one. How? One in Christ and one with Christ. We are one by Christ and through Christ. If we are not in Christ... We have no share, no part in the new man. Rather, we are through with the new man. So one practical way we care for the life of the one new man in our local church is that as soon as we're able, when we come to a meeting, no matter what happened to us that day or where we've been or how we feel, as soon as we're able, it may take 20 minutes for life to reach you, for grace to reach you, for the Lord shepherding to touch you, then you make a decision. I won't be in myself in this meeting. For the sake of the church, I'll be in my spirit, and I'll be in Christ. It's not a small thing for a husband at home with his wife simply to be with her in Christ. It won't make the marriage religious. It will make it divinely human and humanly divine. I received a, an email from a brother in his middle 70s who had been a widower for a long time. And many of us just longed for him to marry again, but we were kind of reluctant to say much. We didn't know how open he was. But then he sent me this email letting me know 
his wedding meeting was coming up, Hallelujah. told me about the sister, and he said, we can laugh together. We can pray together. Right? We can play together. We can serve together. And I wrote him back. I said, that's exactly right. <laughs> I don't know whether that's, quote, spiritual, but that's Jesusly human. In the last day, I never rejoiced and laughed like Isaac so much of my whole life is in the last eight months. Never prayed so much with another person. Never pursued the Lord so much as another person. We're becoming divinely human and humanly divine in every aspect of our life. D, apart from being in Christ, we could not have been created into one new man. Because in ourselves, we do not have the divine essence, which is the element of the new man. So the new man is not gathering people together from all the nations and putting us together in one room and see, this is one new man. I was working with Brother Lee one day, and he read me a letter from some sincere but unenlightened brothers. They said, oh, Brother Lee, we had all the different languages and racial groups together in a meeting. This is the one new man. And Brother Lee, just in a proper way, just kind of smiled and laughed. The new man is not a collective gathering of representatives of the old man. It is a gathering in which there's no old man, but we're still here, and Christ is in all of us. Amen. That is the new man. Only in the divine essence and with the divine essence were we created into the one new man. It is possible to have this essence only in Christ. That is why we need to love the Lord and enjoy him more than ever before. Open your being for Christ to be your essence. Christ himself is the essence of the new man. Hence in himself he created the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, into one new man. Solving the, the division of all divisions. In the new man, Christ is all. Because he is the essence with which the new man was created. Therefore, the one new man is Christ. Point E will point us to another conversational prayer. The one new man comes into being as we are saturated, filled, and permeated with Christ and replaced by him through an organic process. So often, whether it's a shower prayer, a shaving prayer, a red arrow prayer, when I remember, Lord, saturate me. I want you to permeate my whole being. He's happy to hear this. The new man is Christ in all the saints, permeating us and replacing us until all our natural distinctions have been removed and everyone is constituted of Christ. So one by one, we'll be ready for this. The Lord is shepherding you. If he realizes you're not ready for this, because actually you may have been deprived of your heritage. It might have been despised. It might have been marginalized. Humanly, 
You had to realize where you came from, what your source is. He understands this. So we're not going to hammer this on somebody, but sooner or later you will realize, now I'm willing to let go of this and let Christ replace this with himself so that he can have his purpose fulfilled by the one new man. So this is not something you're obligated to do tonight. You don't have to go home and reject everything about your whole life and pretend that tomorrow morning Christ is all and in all. Just come to the Lord where you are, pray in a way which is real for you right now, and let him do what you're comfortable letting him do. If you can open like this, then open like this. But if you can open like this, that's good. The divine breath will come in. He's not going to force you open. In a few months from now, you'll say, Lord, I kind of like this. I'm going to open like this. And eventually, you'll open like this. But don't try to imitate someone else. Don't measure yourself by someone else. You're not someone else. You are you where you are in the Lord. And yes, be what you are until you're truly different in Christ. Don't pretend. The all-inclusive Christ must be wrought into us organically until he replaces our natural being with himself. And so we shouldn't be overly conscious of being natural. I don't think the second-year trainees are doing this as often as they used to do this. In the second year, they're quite conscious of their spiritual condition. And they just say, I'm natural. I'm so natural. So we asked one sister to help us to serve in a certain way. She said, I don't know if I can do it. I'm so natural. So one day in class, I told them, you're so natural about being natural. <laughs> just forget it. This is a process. This is a process. We're all the same. We're all 100% natural. Then we're 90% natural. Then 75% natural. Eventually, it will increase. And we love each other as we are, and we bear one another as we are. Now, the last section. In the one new man, Christ is all the members and is in all the members. So is seems to mean we're not here. But in implies we're here. Both are true. He, he is you, yet you are still here so he can be in you. The Christ who dwells in us is the constituent of the one new man. Now, point two is powerful, but true. Because Christ is all the members of the new man, there is no room in the new man for any race, any nationality, any culture, or any social class. <clears throat> but please don't look at someone else and say, there is no room for your race, for your nationality, for your social class. No, no, no. That, that's altogether impure. You just have the realization, Lord, I want you to have the new man brought forth and manifested on the earth. I realize in the new man, Christ is the constituent. He is all. That means he needs to be me. So, Lord, there is no 
room for me and the new man as a Caucasian American male who is a descendant of Finns and Swedes. There's no room for Finns. There's no room for Swedes. There's no room for Americans. There's no room for males. And there's no room for white guys like me. I really mean it, Lord. I'm praying this for myself. Others have to pray it for them. I recognize there's no room in the new man. There's only room for you. I never had much social status. Born of working class. Went to blue collar U where the, the poor kids went. Smart kids, but poor. Went to blue collar U. But anyway, there's some kind of social class. I let that go. Now Christ is becoming more and more, and he's getting the new man. But this we have to all decide for ourselves when we're ready for it, okay? Don't impose this on anyone. Don't turn this into a law, into a demand. In order for us to experience the reality of Christ being all the members of the new man, we need to take Christ as our life and person and live him, not ourselves. This will cover tomorrow morning. If Christ is the living of all the members of the one new man, then in reality, he will be in the new man. When all the saints live Christ, this is from Galatians 2.20, then in a real and practical way, Christ will be all the members in the new man. So this has to happen gradually. You learn to live Christ. You're willing to live Christ. You let Christ live in you. You let Christ live in you. You are one spirit with him. You live him a little. You live him a little more. You live him a lot more. We're all in different stages. We're not imposing uniformity. This is a gradual organic process, but eventually the light will come and we'll tell the Lord, for the sake of your heart's desire, for the fulfillment of your eternal purpose, for the preparation of your bride for your marriage, for the manifestation of the one new man, I want you to become me and constitute yourself into me and be me. It is very significant that Paul said both that Christ is all and that he is in all. We should not think that because Christ is all the members of the new man, we are nothing and are not needed. We're nobody, but we're not nothing. We're still needed. The Lord created us for a reason. He's not going to throw away his creation. He's going to redeem it, regenerate it, and uplift it and bring it into resurrection. The fact that Christ is in all the members of the new man indicates that all the members continue to exist. So Peter, so Jim, see ya in the new Jerusalem, on the new earth, in the new heavens. I won't know your new name. You'll be glorified. I'll be glorified. But you'll still be the person God made you to be. Now you're in resurrection. You're constituted with Christ. You shine out Christ. You're part of the new man. There are millions and millions of glorified sons of God, and you're happy just to be one of those there. So Christ is all and in all. Can we just agree and take about a minute or so to pray that the Lord will actually work this out 
little by little in our lives to have the one new man brought forth and manifested in the churches in the Lord's recovery here, now, and with us. Amen. Amen.